Sustainability Unwrapped, a conversational podcast about responsibility, ethics, inequalities, climate change, and other challenges of our times, where science needs practice to think about our world and how to make our society more sustainable one podcast at a time. So welcome to another episode from The City podcast where we talk to different Finnish companies about how they work and operational uh, human rights issues in their own operations. And today I'm super glad to welcome uh, Lea Rankinen from Paulig, who will be here today talking about how Paulig works with business and human rights. So welcome, Lea. Thank you very much. It's a very nice and nice to be here today. Really, really glad about this opportunity. Yeah, and of course, we are super happy that it's you here today, because I think many of our listeners also know that you have a very extensive experience in, in, in Finland, both regarding business and human rights and CSR at large. So it's a real privilege to talk to you. But I think you are also in a very good position, actually, to reflect on the first question I have to you, which is the question that when I think, looking back at uh, questions around human rights, I go back in my own research almost 20 years now in in CSR and perhaps 10 years um, in in relation to uh, human rights issues. one can surely say that uh, human rights uh, issues have not really been super visible, at least for a long time, uh, in 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 uh, in the Finnish context. And and the whole debate, I feel, is is now sort of gathering steam, and you see a lot of new actors on on the scene, and a lot of new business who I've at least never seen in in the context of. of uh, business and and human rights discussions in in Finland. So why do you think that it is right now, like today, there is this particular attention being paid to questions around business and and human rights? I think this is a very, very good question and uh, would be also nice to kind of uh, reflecting backwards because yes, it's a kind of a journey, but uh, but why now? I think that it's been now previous around three to five years where the really the increasing has been um, all, all the topic has been really increasing and, and starting to be game on the high higher level on the agenda of the the company's uh, sustainability and, and and CSL agenda. Obviously, it's been there a longer period also from the perspective of really from the social compliance and workers right things that you need to put the risks on there but uh, as as 10 years ago when the uh, united, uh, united nations human rights guiding principles were launched and that's that's only 10 years ago that the relation to the business started to come into the discourse and and mainly with the, among the professionals and 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 academia and those so, so i think that was the kind of uh, uh, starting point how also the professionals into the company started to look at it more holistically 
basically, and, and trying to start to understand what that is to really mean as a comprehensive model. And it took some took some time. So so basically now, but be, uh, between uh, three to five years, it's been uh, really broadening in in a way that. Uh, that you need to have a proper comprehensive management model in the area. And I, I think it's been eye-opening also. And it's a, it, it, the climate issue has been increasing. We have been starting to understand also that these these issues are interlinked to each other's basically. And, and that, uh, that human rights issues are not always just far away somewhere into the risk countries. We are much more aware nowadays about the issues and topics which are also in our own societies. So the topic is coming closer, basically. And that leads to the issue that it is starting to become more and more in a, in a daily operations also that you start to look at it from different angles, basically. And, and when you manage to put it on the agenda kind of that, yes, this is a key part of your overall sustainability, then it leads to the way that uh, Okay, but how we how we how we put the frameworks from here, how we measure it, how we manage, and then we come to the kind of these kind of benchmarks and methodologies that uh, which are the best practices. Yeah, exactly, and and this brings me nicely to to the following question that, as exactly as you say that you know these these things, in especially in Finland, uh, perhaps really went into the agenda. Of course, after the UNGPs, but then mm. some years went went by and so forth. <clears throat> and let's put it this way: that prior to 2012, when when going to these kind of business and and human rights events in Finland or or abroad, one challenge for people like myself and perhaps others as well was that most people there had had kind of a background really with with you know the legal side that that they were human rights lawyers almost or or a very sort of lawyeristic background which was a very stark contrast to you know the Finnish CSR field going back a little bit longer where there was also a challenge for people such as myself when most people had like kind of environmental engineering background and spoke in a very particular manner about uh, sustainability and now it was a very sort of legalistic uh, framework or at least it's uh, you need to be very precise when talking about uh, uh, human rights issues and I think for many business people also challenging because it doesn't really start with the business it starts usually with with the victim and the victims and, and, and those who are affected and that sort of makes for a very particular language. Now, mm -hmm. this is a very long bridge to, to, to my question, since some of our listeners are not Finnish and might not know, know your own background. So what is your own background in terms of, of um, you know, working with this question? Do you come from an engineering background or a lawyer background? And how did you end up working with, uh, with uh, human rights in, in the business context? Thank you very much for that question. Yes, I do have an engineer background <laughs> from my educational background from environmental engineer. But how do I describe also myself? I always say that I'm a, I'm a very people-centric human <laughs> human that's a engineer in that that way. And it's it's been always there that kind of the, seeing the interlink between the people and and the planet. And basically that we can't look at separately. 
for example, climate issues and the human right, because, uh, for example, increasing climate risks are increasing human right risks also. And, but but my ba background definitely uh, 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 20 years I've been working with the sustainability area, but uh, with the social issues 15 years also started to also 15 years ago started to develop kind of uh, from the contract point uh, the requirements for the suppliers how how to monitor the supply chains what kind of uh, tools to use there, and and that led me into the path also into my career that um, I have been in the international platforms developing the global tools that uh, as some companies we could use same same kind of a code of conduct and auditing models. So I have been now, uh, I have had a privilege to work over 10 years, one of the biggest global business organization developing human rights issues, trade with purpose. So nowadays I'm a vice, vice president of the board of Ampori in Brussels, representing 2,500 companies globally, uh, really uh, improving the human rights into the global supply chains, developing joint advocacy trainings for suppliers in the countries. So that has been one one trademark specifically there, and then which I'm really proud of also is that around a year ago I was elected also part of the the Finnish human rights delegation, and and kind of the eye opening that which is important that you see also close, not just far away that we also recognize what are what are these topics in our own communities and and and, and societies and. Uh, like, like said, it's not any more strictly kind of that you have either risk countries or not. It is the areas and, and sectors that you need to recognize issues. And, and, and that, that, that's the point. And that's my, my, my background there. Right. And, and again, a very, very nice sort of intro to, to the following question, which is that again, we have listeners here who are not uh, from, from Finland and might not know what kind of company uh, Paulig is. So I think many people in Finland recognize the brand and, and the, the company. But can you tell our listeners what what kind of company is Paulig and what is particular about the human rights risks and the human rights issues that, that a company in, in Paulig's sector uh, has? Yes, thank thank you very much. And uh, so Paulik is uh, this year a 145 years old family-owned company, food and beverage companies. Many Finnish listeners, I'm sure, recognize it from the good coffee, Paulik coffee. But we are actually a food and food and beverage companies. We have our own operations in 13 different countries and there is an umbrella of different kind of a brands we have. Coffee is the one, but uh, we are the European market leader in Tex-Mex sector, tortillas. Basically, we are producing customer, customer brands and then we have uh, for the future plant-based bullet oats, gold and green in our, our portfolio also. So, uh, very broad umbrella of different kind of uh, brands there and um, like say operating in 13 different countries but what is linked there really to the to the human rights and interesting there that uh, this is really value-driven company 
also and, and the owner's ambition for the for the people well-being and, and, and planet well-being very, very high that we're wanting to be the front runner in the area that uh, taking care of the business that it's, it's, it's good for the future generations too. And it's good for the farmers into the origin countries, basically producing the raw materials. So in that scale, Paulik is buying around thousand different raw materials from 80 different countries. And our products are sold in 70 different countries. So our supply chain, value chain is quite extensive, basically, from that point of view. And if we look at the world map, where with the, the raw material sourcing countries, we are coming to the developing countries, more or less South, Central America, Africa, Asia, where the spices are coming. So there is a very big variety of different kind of areas. And uh, the background for us is, 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 is really that there's a very strong commitment for the, for the people uh, well-being and, and driving the the, the human rights and we have a long experience basically working with the coffee sector with the farmer communities and that the kind of they taking care of the also supporting that increasing their well-being of, of, of livelihood but uh, there we see also that uh, what is really the challenging that how how climate change is approaching and what kind of impact that have to the societies and enabling to kind of produce actually coffee coffee also into the into the future but uh, and if we look at the spice sector in asia then from the human right point of view it's also the the families and and and, and farmers well-being definitely one one of the area linked to this child labor there also one of them one of the key key areas and and then also the 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 women's right and and and, and engagement to the decision making so these are some 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 of the topics from the main areas we have recognized right and we'll we'll come back talking more more in depth about these these kinds of risks or uh, that that you have uh, spoken about but as an organizational scholar i'm always interested in uh, the question about how different companies in, in different way organize internally around these, these questions of CSR and, and human rights. So how is it at, at, at Paulik? How, how are you organized? Do you have a separate unit for CSR issues or have you integrated it into every, uh, every part of the operation or how, how do you work? Yes, uh, de definitely. We we want to work in a way that this is part part of the company culture and DNA. That uh, that uh, all, all employees, different departments uh, have a role to play and and integrate into their their roles. And uh, so so obviously uh, with the human rights, the sourcing is is playing a really key role. And and they have been taking a really active role of driving these issues basically uh, we we have been changing our operating model in previous year to kind of a one public approach from the different business uh, sectors to the one one public uh, organi organization and we are harmonizing our processes and now when i also joined company uh, a little more than a year year ago we have now centralized sustainability theme there in a, in a, in a as a one a part of a, one of the key business business function and our our role is to lead 
identify and lead these initiatives at the company level and 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 previously a couple of months ago we made the, the latest changes that we also integrated the small team who are responsible of uh, developing our sustainable sourcing practices into our company level sustainability team so so from this perspective we are developing the, the company level metrics the management model policies we are looking at the plan and making the standards which are the best tools to use and really being there consulting and helping our our sourcing to to deliver also and have a dialogue with our partners and taking the ownership super now my following question relates to this, but again, I think you are well well positioned to 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 reflect on on this because you have have such a long experience both with human rights issues, but also the sort of Finnish CSR sector at large. Myself coming, you know, from a kind of educational uh, education background, one one thing that I think we see in in Sihti, but also elsewhere, is that perhaps. In Finland and elsewhere, you know, business people, managers, they struggle a little with, bit with sort of the kind of vocabulary that comes out from, uh, you know, from the human rights discourse. Again, because it's it's very specific. All the terminology needs to be very very precise, and and what you report on is not really driven as such by you know the business discourse and and what is interesting from from the perspective of. Of business. So my following question is basically that if you think about your team and, and your organization, that what kind of skills would you say that that is good for employees uh, to have in terms of, of dealing with, with business and, and human rights issues? And, and what is it that you, for example, within Pauli and, and you in your position look for, you know, in employees that that should and, and can work with with these kind of, of, of issues in, in in your sector basically mm. very broad and actually interesting interesting question because definitely the the needed skills and capabilities are changing also all the time and and it's a little bit interlinked about the which kind of evolution stage you are with the running this basically if you are are there to start to put a kind of a, a model how do i start to integrate this into my contract from the from the compliance point and what kind of auditing model then you need the skills and and the capabilities into the company who has a really good also background about about this that uh, what need to be defined good with the kind of a policies and 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 things like that and uh, and about the experience really conducting and being what are the auditing models and different standards basically when you are coming up higher basically and you are you are building up the comprehensive model more or less and put it onto the strategic level also as a company level then you need the capabilities that uh, uh, having a dialogue with the stakeholders, basically having listening, really having in-depth discussions there, and taking also input and translate that into the internal company language. 
that is one of my my really key learnings with the previous some of the years and 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 translate it into the very practical levels that how can where we need to integrate how what is the kind of a transformational leadership there basically and 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 that enables enables you to to handle it into the board level from the operational and, and strategic level so for example in my team even I have a certain role to play here. Then we have a specialist running with the audits and human rights, uh, head of human rights, basically in the, integrating with the, with the sourcing. But then we have a development manager who is looking at from the policy point of view, what kind of a changes we need to do into our, our policies and contracts based on also the increasing customer requirements. And, 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 one, one, one key one key learning for me has been uh, really also to to translate it into the into the practicalities kind of that uh, if, if you need to understand also the risks and mitigate the measures there are still challenges for us that how to evaluate likelihood and things like that but if you are an enabler to integrate this into the normal models how the companies Business people are used to look at the what kind of a templates, risk management processes. If you enable to put there, that is a one success story. But also visualize for them that they need to change their thinking a bit, because normally they think always that what are the risks for my business from the external world. And in this particular sector, we are always looking at what kind of risk and harm we are causing through our business to external world and to the people. And that needs to be very clearly visualized into the beginning. And that right. helps. Right. And I think this is also something that is is, is very an important point and, and very often missing i think also from a kind of base understanding of of business who are just getting into these questions in a, in a sort of structured way that in a sense you need to turn on its head this this thinking around risk to a certain extent because in the human rights discourse it's not about what are the risks to the to the company that the starting point yeah. is really in the language that what are the risks from from the perspective of of those who might be affected by it so you need in a sense to think from from that perspective and that can be i think very very uh ch challenging as, as such yeah. so so yeah and, and really interesting also what you said about different skills it's it's mm. it, it is very a very complex uh, complex thing and uh, i think uh, this kind of holistic holistic view that that you uh, talked about will, will probably become increasingly important as these things become more strategic in the sense mm. that once they really become strategic also the, the need of, of skills uh, changes a little bit now that that brings us to the first question that relates to one of these more specific uh, uh, concepts that that is really at, at the heart of, of, of human rights discourse business and human rights discourse sort of drawing on UN guiding principles. And that is the notion of, 
of due diligence. And here for our listeners, due diligence in a sense is a quite a broad concept. It means that the business identifies and, and needs to assess what their adverse human rights impacts uh, might be and then take in such insights uh, integrated into their own uh, business and then really try to track how effective these measures are and then as a last step really communicate how they work with it and this communication part was for example what safety was was looking at how, how Finnish companies deal with them but on a very operational level yet we need to be somewhat on on the surface due to time constraints on the, this podcast in in broad terms how does Pauli work with uh, the implementation of, of due diligence there are there are a few key parts how I, I describe it and the second thing is that where are we actually at this moment on this path but uh, but uh, how we work that and first thing is that, that we form a very clear view and understanding of the current status where we are basically and in this kind of a work it helps that we have this also external benchmark what was like the safety 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 evaluation it also gives the the external kind of evaluation on there but the clear view and understanding of our current status that the company level policies are there ethical principles supplier code of conduct commitment to the un united nations declaration of business and human rights then we look at that, okay, what kind of a tools we we have at this moment to start to work and what are we already doing that in our, for example, sourcing that supplier questionnaires requirements there, audits model, but then also that launching that when we are looking at this overall also from from other different very different raw materials and sectors that uh, do we need to join to the collaborative platforms basically also to make more more impact and uh, and uh, so the this is the one element then then the second one uh, in in our journey is that defining the targets and actions we we really want to integrate that into the annual phases and also as an as an uh, which are the key focus areas to put also into the company strategy for example for the next strategy period we have integrated into the company strategy that the sustainable sourcing of spices is one of the key key strategic initiative for the whole company basically that that uh, that uh, the main volume spices become from the verified externally verified sources starting to really build piece by piece uh, uh, cut down the elephant like it said basically in, in into the concrete actions to the shorter term and then I think the third one is also to find the inspiration for further development and, and achievements basically remember also to cherish that what you have been achieving the steps that and, and clear with the next steps uh, and have a dialogue with others also take the learnings basically I think for that purposes it was inter very interesting I have an earlier experience looking at the global results from the benchmark but in this sector okay you are definitely looking first at the European companies how, how our result is there we knew that as a 
as a first time there still the quite lower level of of points but what was what was really good that basically from the really the concrete actions the results were good but then looking at the totally different sector companies like who in finland got the highest course and things like that can we have a, can we learn from each of this basically so the, the, these are the main elements and, and where we are actually this moment, we have been identifying, like I said, that we are harmonizing our processes. Basically, we are investigating internally that the good ways also, good learnings and good models, which we're working basically with, the, for example, with the coffee supply chain transparency and uh, starting to build up that uh, the, to leverage these practices to the other raw materials. And, and 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 sectors. So maybe I could could summarize in that point of view. Super. Yeah, and and this what, what you touched upon also brings brings me to the to the next question, which is that you know you you said that Paulig is a is a family owned owned company. So of course the structure and how how close the leadership is to this kind of question is a little bit different than in some other companies, but still. I think the challenge for 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 many companies who make these kind of issues more more strategic is also how you know the different departments that work on on these things on a day-to-day -day basis how they communicate up to the board level or the top uh, leadership and here i think there is this kind of struggle because it's not as with environmental issues that there are very clear sort of mm. uh, key performance indicators that that can be used and what kind of metrics make sense without you needing to have in-depth knowledge yourself as a sort of top top manager or board board level uh, member so how 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 do you at at Powerlink, what kind of metrics do you bring to the to the board level or to the top management to make sense of this what kind of kpis do you use internally as the kind of key yeah. key signifiers yeah that, that that's true I, I still think that the kpis and key metrics are yeah. Are relevant to find and it, 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 we are enabled to find them but challenge comes when we dive deeper to the operational level that uh, putting up the comprehensive global risk management for very different raw materials to have a proper due diligence that how we uh, uh, measure the likelihood basically and, and look at it that how we can compare the likelihood data behind them but at the comp company level uh, it, it is it is doable one of the key we have a target that by 2030 all the raw materials we are we are using in our products that if they are from risk areas need to be externally verified that is for for long term target and for that we have been we have been analyzing the current current status holistically reported that also to the board and we we have defined it that which areas are also verified what are the second like now focusing on spices and we put the annual targets there that uh, metrics that what percentage of the volume of the raw materials in that specific raw material need to be verified in an annual basis and, and then sourcing together with sustainability, build up the build up the concrete roadmaps for 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 them. And this is very practical kind of a lead in a similar way like you lead any other business initiative. But uh, but the, but at the same time we identify that that 
with the global scale and with the due diligence, the challenge comes that uh, how in depth you go when you do the kind of a proactive risks assessments about the possible adverse impacts that how uh, what kind of a general databases you can use the research we have a lot of possibilities to develop still the global intelligence and data to be used and and integrate with with the kind of a data you have internally from your own businesses and I think it would be super interesting into the future that uh, some harmonize that uh, from the scientific and different uh, orga global organizations that you would have uh, intelligence data about the risks and then you could uh, harmonize it in a way that, okay, when I know specifically the area and my supplier and practices, what would be the risk indicator for them? And I think that's that's the kind of a future vision where we should work right. together. Right. And, and you also now mentioned sort of certifications and uh, sort of standard setting or organizations. And I think one thing again we saw in Sihti, and again this is, is nothing new because other research has, has shown the same, is that many companies are, are very, very reliant on on the standard setting organization, how they make sense of, of human rights to the extent that I think some companies uh, perhaps do not actually in-house have have very almost any basic even understanding of the terminology that comes to it that really the sense making is really mediated to a full reliance on, on standards and and then not perhaps realizing that the standards themselves can have certain sort of blind spots but at the same time we understand that harmonizing and that, that they have a very important role these these as as, uh, as as organizations in very complex supply chains but how do you internally at, at Paulig look at, at this balance that having a kind of an in-house understanding and then you know the role of, of the standard setting organizations and the multi-stakeholder initiatives and, and so forth how, how do you see that interplay mm. you need both you need both areas I, I, I strongly believe that uh, if you strategically focus on something, you need to have a good in-house capabilities, definitely in that area too. And, and that kind of uh, uh, enables you to also take the long-term approach, because this is definitely area of continuous improvement. You, you at the same time you rely on the, the and the develop the verification systems and using different kind of a certification at the end of the day it is anyhow how you walk through and partnership with your suppliers and with your partners together making the kind of idea that yes this is continuous improvement we are not afraid of anything happening but uh, we will help and we we will we will find out the solution and, and the, for, for that in-house in in-house understanding capabilities is is really key but then you you also need to be you know uh, touch into the to the um, uh, collaborative platforms find out those which are relevant where you can have a level bigger impact together with the others di di dialogue with the ngos definitely but for example public 
uh, in the area. Now we are a member of the Amphori also, where there are uh, globally retailers, brand importing companies. There we can do a barrel, together barrel with the developing the auditing. We can have a joint advocacy work. We can organize trainings globally. That, that's how it gives us a scalability and impact to work with others. But then site specific part of the sustainable spices initiative we can focus on that sector issues also and with the international coffee partnership memberships brings us the platform where we with the other coffee coffee companies initiate really the community programs into the origin countries also so both setups are needed right right so I think one one comment, and and here I'm not particularly talking about safety. I'm talking also about what what I've heard from the, the sort of global CHRB um, results and and what are what companies are are saying when when seeing their their results. That one comment that you sometimes hear is is companies saying that oh if we would have known that this was being measured we would have published this but then from year to year you don't actually see that that big imp i mean of course you see an incrementally improvement uh, and, and it's an ongoing work i mean it's, it's very hard to reach the highest point but what what do you feel that is the, the main challenge from from your organization or your sector's point of view of of publishing in information, is it this that you previously said? This in you know the deciding how deep should you go into these questions, or are there other issues that make it very challenging to to publish information about uh, mm. these human rights aspects? Mm. Yeah, there is a difference. This is interesting, really interesting. It's a kind of. A, what you publish, but the other thing from the transparency point of view and accountability that uh, joining the discussion, basically. And then it's really important that you have an in-house capability and knowledge on the areas. Then you are more, you have a more courage actually to join the discussion. And I think these, these are more relevant. They are begging us to the step-by-step -step together improving the issues together with the with the stakeholders but uh, also yeah reporting point of view definitely important to be uh be transparent there there it is more kind of a balancing how in depth you go which 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 level to put the put the data and and information because anyhow some uh, the questions are already that uh, is the data quality enough, good enough, which we, we might be internally in a company's worried about? Is it, is it really that we can, we can state with this figure because on uh, some, some of the uncertainties and, 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 and from the monitoring results, it is how in-depth you go because then with your supply chain partners always that who owns the, for example, data of audits and results of that. So it can't be just that you using something, but uh, di different angles for, for, for that. And from public point of view, I think that uh, we, we, we are re ready and we want to be into the platforms and, and, and having into the really also in-depth discussions. Right. And you, you mentioned now, now platforms and also you know that that it's not only about reporting which brings us to another concept that is very key in the human rights this discourse and that is the the, the notion of of grievance mechanism and this mm. was another where you know when you look at the different companies in finland where some companies had a very 
clear grievance mechanisms, how, how, how they work with them, whereas others had had some grievance mechanism, but clearly not open to, to all stakeholders, rather perhaps for employees, but not uh, the stakeholders at, at large. So how, how do you work with, with grievance mechanism and what kind of grievance mechanism do you have at your, your, in your toolbox? In the long, longer term, we identified this is the area for us also to, to further develop. At this moment, we have a grievance mechanism which is uh, for internal public uh, workers globally. And we definitely see and recognize the, the value to have a, a grievance and, and the model for, for open for the, for the stakeholders and the value chain. At this moment, uh, with the longer term, we, we are also interested to look at what could could be the collaborative solutions for there, because uh, at the end of the day, it's good to also understand and get the best best practices and out of it that what kind of a models works and and this is kind of a, what we are also trying to achieved through the international collaborative platforms that, uh, for example, at Amphori, that uh, developing there jointly the global grievance mechanisms. Right. And this then brings us to the so-called third pillar of, of uh, human rights and, and business, which is, is access to remedy. And I think in Sihti there was only one company in, in, in both sets that had any sort of, uh, or at least publicly informed how, how, how they work around grievance uh, mechanism, or at least in a clear, clear mm. way. So what are your thoughts about uh, this, this question? I mean, now and, and, and in how do you see it in the immediate future where it might be going in, in a sector such as, as, as your own? Uh, the the remedy practices yeah, remedy. Uh, and and grievance mechanism role there or uh, yeah sorry I, I I misspoke <laughs> again need to sorry. be very very clear I I meant I I meant to talk only about remedy and okay. I I mentioned <laughs> yeah, yeah, by yeah, so yeah. remedy where where do you see remedy going um, yes re re remedy going uh, also that. Uh, uh, I also believe that uh, for the remedy practices, the, maybe the biggest impact also comes through maybe the joint actives because the global chip line chains, they're really much interlinked to the others. And, and it's a kind of a challenge also in the practical level that uh, who puts what kind of a input for the remedies if something is further down in a supply chain, because also always it's realistic also to understand that it's good that uh, the different players also take their own ownership on the issues, basically. <laughs> that you can't go above some, someone there and, and, and do that. But, uh, but it, it depends on the remedy actions that are you di directly linked or, or contributing or indirect link. Basically, we still need to de define a basket of good practices for, 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 for those. But, uh, but I think it's uh, it's it's good enabler with the global platforms also to yeah. to make those actions to, together. I think it's not the, right. for our sector, but years ago, what happened in Bangladesh, kind of that companies also together started to do actions there, right. remedy remedy actions. So. 
Yeah, and of course, when you were talking to, to about remedy, mm. just for our listeners, that of course that that brings also a kind of a third actor into the equation, not only these uh, multi-stakeholder initiatives mm. that Leo was talking about or the companies themselves, but mm. when we're talking about remedy, it usually means access to, to legal legal means and legal frameworks. So this sort of mm. relation to, to the national state or particularly the, the, the government. And then if we're talking about contexts where the government themselves might not be upkeeping mm. certain standards such as Bangladesh was, was mentioned yeah. here, then how how do we understand this this remedy? Mm. Remedy situations are very, very complex. It is still quite co com complex and uh, need need more framing, definitely. Also, also internally, I think uh, in in certain cases we are quite well aware when it's very concrete and practicalities. If you find something which is linked to challenges and and uh, actions in your own supply chain, what to do then together with your <laughs> your supplies, then it's 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 more easier. You can start initiate some some uh, mitigating projects into the community countries, but then the, the broader picture is kind of that uh, linked to the governments, and then it's it's important to have a political level joint actions advocacies, put the power there also. Right. And again, now we have spoken a lot about different challenges and the kind of risk perspective, but I'll shift now the question more. I know, Lea, you haven't been working at Public for, for a super long time, but still you have probably achieved some some changes or seen some changes at, at Public for the time that you have been there. So when looking at, at, at your time and your, your team working with these questions at Public, what, what do you think then? main achievement or what kind of achievements are you most proud of that 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 you have achieved uh, i i think uh, a couple of questions which i'm really proud of it first of all it's 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 super exciting to start there where there where there is a really willingness to work with this issue basically that uh, that uh, people business functions and they they want to take the ownerships and they see that this is really important and they are proud of it that public work with this area but what i'm bringing in is the kind of uh, also the common language on this that uh, how we harmonize the area how we still a uh, little bit increase the level how we scale our actions that it's a comprehensive and at the same time that what kind of a new tools we need what i've been brought in also the kind of a leverage to the toolbox we have been joining the some of the global platforms now like the sustainable spices initiative and amphori basically that our our uh, experts also learned more from from others that uh, we have a we have a really possibilities to to scale up our issues and uh, we have defined the focus areas, some of the key key metrics, KPIs, where we start. And especially what I'm proud of is that uh, we have been taking a quite strong stand on uh, for EU level human rights and environmental due diligence legislation. That was also last summer we were we were signing the letter together with that. Uh, Business and Human Rights Center and, and some of the multinational global companies calling for actions from, from EU. And 
that yeah, is one. Yeah, and, and again, this this brings me to the to the very last question I I have, and and this is in a sense this uh, landscape of of governance. You completely correctly pointed out the the, the we might say now that the coming EU uh, directive or legislation around. Uh, business and, and, and human rights, which is moving forward. At the same time, we also see various national initiatives moving forward. We saw in Germany very recently the national laws sort of taking steps uh, forward. In Norway, we also saw uh, similar steps. And now when the Finnish government did not fall, we can assume that the, uh, the sort of writings in the government program uh, around these, these things will also move forward. So how do you see this governance uh, landscape uh, where it, it is and, and where from your perspective it should go? Because it's of mm. course going to be a mix of both these private uh, MSIs, uh, the national laws and, mm. and, and the EU laws. So how do you see the interplay between these? Yeah. There has been, I, I think the national initiatives has had an important role to play basically i think that that increased the pressure also for for pushing this up to the eu level discussion importance i, I and i think it actually happened quite fast basically from the from the final solution and and from the public point of view i would support the eu level approach and eu level legislation basically because from the practicalities point of view what we already see now we have a we, are, we have a customers and we are running businesses in a, in a, those european countries where they already have a national legislations basically in in Netherlands and, and and uk also the the modern slavery act there are different kind of approach and we are producing different kind of statements and reporting to the to the customers and 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 and, and industry uh, organization for them so to be able to also have an harmonized approach from our policies and practices and reporting standards it would be really good that uh, that the final solution is the eu level approach yes of, of course at the same time we we know in a sense how uh, eu level especially is is really a how would you say a very complex when it comes to finding you know both realistic solutions mm. but also workable solutions and we see for example you mentioned yourself the french uh, law and the uk law which uh, mm. of course have have its own strength but you can see that they are perhaps uh, uh, also the result of, of very long and, and complex negotiations so they are missing perhaps uh, certain uh, parts of it so how 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 effective do you think that eu law can can be to address on an operational level these kind of challenges that, that we have seen and not repeating perhaps the deficiencies that we have seen for example in the in the UK law mm. especially there and I say especially the UK law because it's very hard from research standpoint to evaluate these laws that have not been in place for a very very long time so we can look mm. at UK and France to a certain extent to look at you know problems with that law and how they can be remedied or or uh, taken uh, into account when, when looking at, at EU level law. So how hopeful are you that there will be some 
teeth in a sense in, in, in EU uh, level regulation. Uh, I, uh, I believe that process is is ongoing and uh, we, there, there will be a there will be a solution. I think uh, this is the momentum to do it. And there is also a forces kind of that what the change, uh, change and mind shift has been happening in previous three years that there are a lot of companies and now also support, supporting uh, EU, EU level approach basically. And I think the key key there is that everybody understands that uh, in a certain extent we want that it, it works in a way that it really puts the level playing field basically there. I, 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 I believe in that, that if you put the mandatory due diligence process, that would also kind of, that brings everybody in. You, you need to start the journey basically. <laughs> That brings that it's not only front-running companies who are a, uh, speak about it and developing years and years and processes, but if you have a mandatory due diligence, everybody needs to start to do it. But then on the voluntary phases, we have a lot of platforms, we have a capabilities and best practices, how, uh, what kind of a tools to use, how create the efficient processes and metrics and data and things like that. And there we need to have a room for voluntary basis to really develop them, basically. Right. And again, taking the, the, the uh, sort of opportunity to, to, to look back, I always said to, to everyone that those who in Finland and elsewhere have worked with, with the CSR questions, sustainability question for 20 or 30 years, there is a kind of an absurdity in, in, in the situation that, you know, listening to all these different companies representatives in, the, in these podcasts who are really, you know, somehow longing for, for regulation, saying that we, we really need EU legislation, which if someone would have told me 20 years ago that we would be in this situation, I wouldn't really have believed it. But now there are so many innocents saying this, and, and of course it's, it's logical because it's this risk, risk mm -hmm. perspective, and as you said, leveling the playing field. But on the other hand, uh, my question to you is that these kind of calls are, are not new. I remember very well in 2012 mm -hmm. when there were roundtable discussions in different sectors in, in Finland, including retail, when, and especially mm -hmm. from retail, they, at that point, the, the message was was the same that you know we are already doing stuff. Uh, we need kind of some kind of directive of, of regulation to let level the playing field. But that's already you know nine years ago, eight years ago, nine years ago, mm. and nothing really has happened there. So, are we now supposed to believe that you know now the time has has come mm. for for this uh, thing to happen? I think uh, what I see what, what is has been different now than into the years back for for that that uh, like i said that uh, starting to have these national initiatives that helped and that has been pushing and working also as a bridge maybe at the eu level to awakening for the area that that that, that uh, maybe that is the best solution definitely right. and uh, and there there's a bigger Big, bigger area and uh, and uh, I think this is the this is the card we should be looking at it at this moment and it's it's a momentum but uh, but uh, then, then if it's not happening then then let's come back and look at the other solutions also and uh, and uh, then then we play with them 
yeah. national initiatives. Absolutely. Hope, hopefully that doesn't mean another eight or nine years, but, mm. but something, something more. Yes, so lastly, is there anything else you would like to wish to, to raise that we haven't been able to, to touch upon from your perspective? I think this is a very comprehensive, very interesting discussion, and I want, uh, want to once more thank you for this opportunity. I think uh, very much uh, needed, and looking forward to hear the other other pod podcasts what the colleagues are are, are are saying there. So, because the dialogue is needed, definitely. Ab absolutely. So again, my greatest thank you to you, Lea, for coming here and talking about Pauli's approach to this very complex but at the same time very intriguing and interesting questions around uh, business and, and human rights and due diligence at large so we wish you all the best for this spring and also for the, for the coming coming years working with these uh, these questions and we also look forward to continue the dialogue so thanks for being here and uh, let's keep the dialogue going thank you